This is Global Mining News, available worldwide on the internet. Welcome to the Northern Miner Podcast. My name is Adrian Pocabelli. I'm your host. I'm your online editor. I help out with social media. And do keep up the retweets, folks. We love those. And it's starting to feel like summer out there, isn't it? It's interesting. You're getting everybody's coming out. The parks are full. Saw pictures of the parks in Toronto. They're full. Pictures that parks in around the world are starting to fill up. You see it in the U.S. You see it in Europe. So praying that there's no second wave and more vaccine hope. CNBC was reporting there is another trial. American biotech company Novavax said Monday it started the first human study of its experimental coronavirus vaccine. And they said they expect results on safety and immune responses in July. And this is on the heels of Moderna's announcement, which we talked about last week. So a lot of, you know, these, this story could break either way, couldn't it? So we're watching closely in our top news item, which we'll get into. Yeah, Anglo Gold Ashanti has 164 cases at their Maponang mine in South Africa. So we're going to take a closer look at that. Because this is something that's on the radar of a lot of mining executives. You know, you don't necessarily see it if you're just looking at the news. But if you're running these companies, uh, that is still like the, the story may be passing for Joe Sidewalks here for us lay people. But for the mining executives, they have to make sure that their mines stay clear. There's their stock prices. Their whole company could stand to lose millions of dollars if they have to close a mine Everything gets turned upside down. So that is our lead. So we're going to get into that. And speaking of mining executives, the Canadian Mining Hall of Fame is closing their nomination process on June 1st. So that is days away. So if you know someone who you would like to nominate, go to miningholloffame.ca slash nominate and you can nominate someone that you think is deserving for the Canadian Mining Hall of Fame. So that is miningholloffame.ca slash nominate. And on today's show, we have an unusual interview. The Northern Miner has put on a couple of scotch tasting events over Zoom, and it's pretty hilarious, actually. It's pretty fun, and it starts out with a an interview with a mining executive, and this week, we're going to look at Janet Lee Sheriff, who is CEO of Golden Predator. And she had a very interesting interview with Anthony Vaccaro, Northern Miner Group publisher, to open up the festivities. So it was pretty good. And, and I got some numbers on the event. Yeah, we had attendees that were from Canada, the USA, Australia, Portugal, Mexico, and Colombia. And you know, 82% engagement rate on the online polls. 88% of the audience stayed online for 97 minutes. I mean, these are pretty good numbers. So they did it twice. Maybe they'll do it again. You know, stay tuned on our Twitter feed. We always announce that stuff. So yeah, Janet Lee Sheriff is coming up as our feature content. And she's got really interesting things to talk about. They talked about the history of the Canadian Mint and how there's running out of gold, apparently, as far as I could understand in the interview. And she also talked about ESG and community engagement, which is very important. And also coming up, we have the Canadian Mining Symposium, which we 
have been telling you about. That's only weeks away, June 16th to 18th, 2020, if you want to register. Uh, you'll see a nice big banner at the top of the northernminer.com website now, so you can just go there to northernminer.com to uh, register. Registration is free. And also, we'd like to thank SRK Consulting, who is a new sponsor, and they're going to have a mining minute here right away. And I've interviewed a couple of their consultants, and they have really interesting things to say about how the mining process works. This is really very practical mining information, and it's not too long, so it's uh, nice bite-sized content to just sort of upgrade your mining knowledge. So lots to look at. If you want to find us online, you can find us at northernminer.com. You can find us on Twitter at Northern Miner. You can find us on Instagram at The Northern Miner. You can find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube, where we host these podcasts. And we're also available on Spotify and wherever podcasts are available. Before we begin, we're going to have our Mining Minute with Gary Poxleitner from SRK Consulting. So let's listen to that. Joining me now is Gary Poxleitner, who is Principal Mining Consultant at SRK Consulting. And Gary, welcome to the program. And tell me, how do you determine a cutoff grade at SRK Consulting? Thanks, Adrian. Great to be here. Yeah, so a cutoff grade really is the ton of ore, for example, sitting in your mine and defining whether it should go into the ore pass or not. And that's the decision point where the cutoff grade is. And it's really determined by taking a look at the cost to produce that compared to the value of the metals within that ton of ore. Okay, that makes it super clear. So how objective is that decision? Is, is that, uh, like I assume you're looking at metal prices. It depends what kind of metals in there. So how do you decide that? Yeah, so that's the big challenge. If you had a room of 40 different people, engineers, for example, estimators, and you ask them to do a cutoff grade of their deposit, they probably get 40 different answers. And the reason is, is because there's some subjectivity in there. For example, what costs do you include in that estimation? So we have actually done a survey of 100 different mines just to take a look at that. And there's a huge variety of what should go into a cutoff grade determination. There's no clear guidelines. And, and that's what we hope at SRK to produce and to communicate to everyone is what are the best modifying factors to use in determining what your cutoff grade should be. Very interesting. Thanks, Gary. So we will see you next week on our next Mining Minute. And that was Gary Poxleitner from SRK Consulting. If you want to learn more, simply go to srk.com. And I'm also going to link to Gary's LinkedIn and also to a special page that he has on srk.com. Uh, which is dedicated to him and his specialty. So that'll all be available in the show notes. And thanks once again to SRK Consulting. Now let's turn to the news. Uh, and here we have it. Anglo Gold Ashanti confirms 164 COVID-19 cases in South Africa. And this is by Carl A. Williams, senior reporter with the Northern Miner. Anglo Gold Ashanti has temporarily closed its Maponeng mine in South Africa after 164 workers tested positive for COVID-19. The company has conducted 650 tests since the first COVID-19 case was detected at the mine only last week. 
with the vast majority of those tested asymptomatic, the company reported. So continuing on, the cases were discovered as part of a screening, contact tracing, and testing program at the site with anyone exhibiting flu-like symptoms during the screening process referred to a medical practitioner for assessment and testing where clinically required, the company said. You know, I don't know why they don't just test everyone. I would think a goal of government is let's just test everybody, like unless these tests are so expensive. Continuing on, uh, in line with national health protocols, all positive cases will be isolated with the company providing on-site facilities at Maponang for those who may need them. And Maponang, the world's deepest gold mine, is located in the West Wits Mining District on the border between Gauteng and Northwest Provinces, 76 kilometers southwest of Johannesburg. In February, the company agreed to sell the mine to Harmony Gold in a deal worth $300 million to focus on more profitable mines in Ghana, Australia, and the Americas. The gold miner voluntarily closed the mine to allow for contact tracing and sanitation of the site and is utilizing the company's existing electronic tracking system to find primary or close contacts. And it says here the mine was already operating at 50% of production capacity since operations resumed last month after South Africa suspended mining operations as part of a national lockdown in March to prevent the spread of the virus. And they also had some other cases in the neighborhood. Uh, Impala Platinum was also forced to close its Marula Platinum operation, 360 kilometers northwest of Johannesburg, in Limpopo province after a cluster of 19 Positive COVID-19 cases were detected. According to Impala, all the employees were asymptomatic and none had started work at the mine. You just wonder how many people have had this without even realizing it. Uh, Just the strangest illness ever. Okay, so there you have it. Kind of your mining executive's worst nightmare come true. Uh, Huge amount of cases at Anglo Gold Ashanti's, at Anglo Gold Ashanti's, Maponang Mine in South Africa. I'm going to be an expert at pronouncing that mine by the end of this show. And continuing in Africa, Tanzania is allowing Barrick to ship gold concentrate. And they were in dispute for quite a while. This is by Cecilia Jamazmi from Mining.com. Barrick Gold will finally be able to ship gold concentrate containers out of Tanzania, which have been sitting at Dar es Salaam port for three years due to a dispute over taxes between the country and the gold giant's now defunct subsidiary, Acacia Mining. The decision comes four months after reaching a deal with Barrick, which ended the tax row and granted the government a stake in three gold mines operated by the Canadian gold giant through a joint venture, Twiga Minerals. I have to say, Barrick is really taking the lead from what I can tell on trying to polish up their ESG image. You can tell they take it very seriously. This isn't, you know, as they call it, greenwashing, where you put up a, a web page with some images of the community and how you're helping. They're, they're putting their money where their mouth is. They're giving these countries real stakes in these mines. I wonder if this is a scary precedent for other large miners, because once one company does it, then you wonder how much other people have to follow And we have a quote from the ever-thoughtful Mark Bristow, Chief Executive Officer and President of Barrick. Quote, this is a striking example of what a true partnership can achieve in building a sustainable business capable of creating long-term value, 
for all stakeholders. The shipping of about 1,600 containers of gold and copper concentrate from the Bulyanhulu and Buzwagi mines resumed in April, Barrick said. The first $100 million received had been paid to the government as part of the $300 million settlement agreed on January 24th. And Barrick said that the initial payment will be followed by five annual payments of $40 million each. Quote, contrary to the past where these claims were handled by the mine, the compensation process has been overseen by a committee representing Twiga, the government, the local authorities, and the affected communities. This will ensure that the process is transparent and that issues are dealt with fairly and promptly. So there you have it. Uh, Barrick makes more moves on the ESG front. And I have to say, they seem to be paying dividends. I mean, if you have a mind that's just kind of stuck, here at least you're getting something out of it. And you know what? You're helping out the community. Everybody wins. So interesting moves out of Africa with Barrick. Then we're going to turn back to another mining personality, Eric Sprott, the ever-controversial, frankly, Eric Sprott, because he is... Been a gold bug on steroids for, gosh, near a decade or two. I've only been paying attention since about 2010 to Eric Sprott, but I think he'd been around a lot longer than that. So anyways, he has boosted his ownership in Dolly Varden Silver, another silver company. And this is also by Carl A. Williams, our senior reporter, mine financier Eric Sprott, is increasing his stake in Dolly Varden Silver to 19.9% buying 7 million common shares of the company in a private placement at a price of $0.33 per share for gross proceeds of $2.3 million. So he owns 20% of the company. And we have a quote from Sean Kunkun, Dolly Varden CEO. And he told the Northern Miner, quote, Eric is currently our largest shareholder with around 12.8% holding in the company. Through this offering, we're getting strategic support from somebody who is aligned with our long-term interests and who also provides a good source of funding. So it looks like, yes, he has increased his stake, so now he owns 20% from 12.8. The financing announced on May 19th, quote, will allow us to conserve the hard dollars we have in the Treasury and to top up our flow-through balance sheet, which would allow us to spend $4 million on the property and still have around $2 million in the Treasury. And this is located in BC's Golden Triangle, 46 kilometers southeast of Stewart, and Kun Kun continues, this property has either been producing or has been explored for the last hundred years with discoveries made on an annual basis. Some exciting discoveries were made on the property last year. So we'll be following those up with our summer drill program. And they also received a second private placement for an additional proceed of $4.5 million. Silver's hot. It hasn't relaxed, as we'll see in our metals prices it hasn't gone down at least it is holding steady and it's hot and so we will take a look at that hecla is involved they're also investors in the company they are a 10 percent shareholder so yeah lots of excitement in the silver area and now we have northern dynasty now they have this very controversial pebble project in alaska and the reason it's controversial is because it is located near the world's most productive wild salmon fishery. So I've been reading about the Pebble Project and Northern Dynasty since I began working at the Northern Miner in 2012. So it is just one of those projects. And I think under the Trump administration, I think they're getting movement finally because it was really hampered 
by Environmental Concerns. So this is by Jackson Chen, who's from Mining.com. Uh, I believe he's new, so welcome Jackson Chen. Northern Dynasty Minerals has welcomed a change of plan for its pebble project in Alaska's Bristol Bay region, which would now include an all-land-based transportation route to connect the proposed copper-gold molybdenum silver mine in southwest Alaska. On May 22nd, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, the lead regulator of the environmental impact statement permitting process, recommended a preferred development alternative for the proposed mine site, a two-lane, 85-mile access road along the northern shore of Lake Iliamna. During a media availability session, uh, U.S. Army Corps of Engineer Alaska District Regulatory Division Chief David Hobby confirmed this was, quote, least environmentally damaging practicable alternative, end quote, for the pebble mine as it would avoid the need for ferry transport across the lake. And why this is so significant, if permitted... Pebble would be North America's largest mine with an estimated resource of 6.5 billion tons in the measured and indicated category containing 57 billion pounds of copper and 71 million ounces of gold, 3.4 billion pounds of molybdenum, and 345 million ounces of silver. And we have a quote from Northern Dynasty President and CEO Ron Thiessen. Quote, from a cost perspective, the various transportation alternatives evaluated as part of the Pebble EIS over the past several years are similar. We had thought the slightly smaller wetlands footprint associated with the Lake Ferry alternatives might make them preferable to the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and other regulatory agencies, but they clearly have judged on an all-land-based route to be superior from an environmental perspective. And Thiessen added that the Pebble Partnership will work with each of the landowners along the Northern Corridor and believes it will secure the authorizations needed to build and operate the transportation system. So this isn't the end of the story. Tom Collier said the announcement of a preferred development alternative for Pebble means a final permitting decision is one step closer. And then here, for decades, the proposed Pebble mine has been the subject of controversy in Alaska over its potential environmental impact on the world's most productive wild salmon fishery. Commenting on the new transportation plan, opponents of the mine said they were not made aware of the changes and thus did not have time to respond. Bristol Bay Native Corporation, which represents the native shareholders in the region, told Bloomberg, quote, This could also lead to legal challenge under the National Environmental Policy Act. Some also questioned whether the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers had thoroughly reviewed the plan while others call this a, quote, huge bait-and-switch, as Pebble has spent years trying to convince people of the viability of its southern route. So controversy is not shying away from this project. Uh, yeah, I'm sure if you put a search into the Northern Miner, you'd get a junior mining odyssey. Uh, and I guess this thing is so huge that no one's given up on it. So that is Northern Dynasty with the latest on their Pebble project. And finally, Dominion Diamond has unveiled a plan to avoid bankruptcy. The diamond industry, if you go back to our show from a few weeks ago where I interviewed Alicia Hyatt from the Canadian Mining Journal and Diamonds in Canada, she really goes into detail in how the diamond industry is just getting raked over the coals during this COVID-19 pandemic. And Dominion Diamond had to file for bankruptcy protection, I believe. So let's just take a closer look. Canada's Dominion Diamond Mines has unveiled a transaction that would allow it to exit court protection from creditors 
and access short-term operating funds, which would pave the way to eventually restart its idled Ikati mine in Canada's Northwest Territories. The company, which owns and operates the iconic Ikati diamond mine and also has a 40% interest in the nearby Diavec, said it had signed a letter of intent with an affiliate of the Washington Companies. And the privately held Montana-based conglomerate bought Dominion for $1.2 billion in 2017, when the miner was the world's third largest producer of rough diamonds by value. Under the agreement, which requires court approval, Washington would buy the company's assets for $177 million while assuming its operating liabilities. It would also provide Dominion with up to $84 million in short-term debtor in possession financing. So, and just a little bit on Dominion Diamond and the coronavirus. Acadi had been halted since March to help slow down the spread of the coronavirus pandemic. The operation was left with about $180 million worth of inventory, which it has been unable to sell since its Belgian retailers remain closed. The Diamond miner said at the time that COVID-19 had a, quote, devastating impact end quote, on the global diamond mining industry. Yeah, it sounds like it's devastation. Yeah, I'll just, City said in a research note, quote, we're concerned about an oversupply of rough diamonds following the reopening of economies as a lot of inventory could potentially be flooded into the system and the market might not be able to absorb it all, resulted in increased pricing pressure. So, what a tough industry that is. Uh, diamonds are getting hit from all sides. There's the lab-created diamonds. Now they have the COVID-19 and this sort of retailer issue, which I think is kind of almost unique to the mining world in the sense that they mine and probably goes, you know, they probably get processed, as Alicia was describing. A lot of these rough diamonds get polished and then get sold directly at these retailers. It's not like you do that with copper. And yeah, they are being hammered on all sides. So Read more about it. It has other companies in the article. Dominion Diamond unveils plan to avoid bankruptcy. That is on northernminer.com. So those are your news stories. Now let's take a look at metal prices. We'd like to thank our friends once again at Infomine.com who provide us with these prices each and every week. And on May 26th, gold is trading at $1,722.83 per ounce, and that is $14 lower than last week. And silver is trading 22 cents higher at $17.30. So it is maintaining its momentum. And platinum is trading at $839.52 per ounce. That is $26 higher than last week's quote. Palladium is trading at $1,968.74. That is $37 lower than last week's quote. And on May 22nd, copper is trading $0.04 cents higher at $2.38 per pound. Aluminum is trading $0.02 cents higher at $0.67 cents per pound. Lead is trading a penny higher at $0.73 cents per pound. Nickel is trading $0.14 cents higher at $5.50 per pound. Tin is trading $0.11 cents higher at $7.03. 
Cobalt is unchanged at $13.38 per pound. And zinc is a penny higher at 89 cents per pound. So the takeaway, precious metals stay steady. Industrial metals catch up. And those are your metal prices. And coming up, we have Janet Lee Sheriff, CEO of Golden Predator. And she discusses the Canadian Mint, the Klondike Gold Rush, ESG, and community engagement with Northern Miner Group publisher Anthony Vaccaro. And that was done as part of the Northern Miner Scotch Tasting event on May 21st. So we hope you enjoy it, and we'll see you on the other side. Now, we've seen fairly large revaluations of equities for the larger and the mid-tier gold producers over the last month. But as per usual, those robust revaluations are taking their time to work their way down to the juniors. And as luck would have it, we have the head of one of those juniors with us here today. And we have Janet Lee Sheriff, the CEO of Golden Predator. Now, Golden Predator is working diligently on its Brewery Creek project, which was a past producing mine. Now, Janet, you just heard our conversation, our my talk there about the physical gold. And right now, it's very hard to even get physical gold. The demand is so high. Now, Golden Predator actually is doing something on this front with the, the Yukon Mint. Can you tell our viewers what Yukon Mint is and what's behind that initiative? Sure. Well, thanks. And first, thank you, Anthony, for inviting me today. Really appreciate the opportunity to to try something new in this forum and quite excited to be here and thanking everybody for joining us. Yes, the Yukon Mint is a subsidiary company that Golden Predator formed, and we formed it as part of our engagement with the community initially. We wanted to find a way to bring other people of the community into the project. So we opened up an art contest with First Nation artists. And this is now, we're going into our third year of contests. And nobody knows the history of the Canadian Mint. It actually started because miners were pushing for a way to keep gold in the country and processed and, and refined in the country and wealth not escaping to the U.S. So it started after the Klondike Gold Rush. So to our delight, um, the Yukon Mint had not been formed. So we really just wanted to do something to keep more money locally and involve the community. We're sold out of gold. We kept some on inventory from our 2018 contest, but in March this year, we sold out of our 2018 and 2019. So we're into our, our third contest, but uh, we do have some gold in, in-house that we will use for the contest. But two-week run, it was gone. And we're, we heard the same thing from other people that they couldn't find any sources. Wow, yeah, that speaks to the state of the market right now. So that we were reading about the, the intense demand for physical, you experienced it firsthand. So sorry, you will be able to put out another round? How, when can uh, investors look for that happening? We'll uh, close the contest. We, it was, was to close already, but due to the COVID-19, we've extended it to June for designs to come in. So by the end of the summer, we'll have the coins produced from that. And, and we take advanced pre-orders uh, and line them up. So we do have some already. We don't do huge runs because we were testing it, um, but it, each year we grow a little bit more. Excellent. And part of the fun of holding physical gold as well is these gold coins. And these, these are designed as more bullions, if my memory serves correct, and coins. 
And the design is beautiful. I've gone and seen them, so I'd encourage anyone, you can see it on Golden Predator's website. It is a, a great initiative, including the Indigenous communities there. Thank Excellent. You. Now, and on that point, Janet, of the Indigenous communities, Janet and I actually met when I was moderating a panel at the PDAC, and Janet was on that panel, and I was, quite frankly, just really impressed with uh, Janet's response and her comprehensive understanding and the initiatives I hadn't realized until I started talking to Janet how much Golden Predator was doing on the ESG front, on community relations, coming up with really innovative uh, approaches to community relations. And I do want to come to that. But the other question I remember from that panel is we talked a little bit about can ESG thinking actually lead to new business ideas that are accretive to a company that maybe wouldn't have been discovered if it wasn't for that kind of mindset at the ESG. There's some interesting stuff going on on that front. You have a, uh, a really interesting initiative around Group 11 that fits perfectly into that theme. Can you tell our viewers what Group 11 is and why it is so innovative on that ESG front? Oh, thanks. Yeah, we're very excited about Group 11. And if you ever wonder about the name, Group 11 is actually from the periodic table that includes gold, silver, and copper. We started um, a processing plant in Watson Lake, and we did it so we didn't take our bulk sample and send it out of the territory, which everyone has always done. So it was an underutilized tool. We did it locally, which allowed us so much knowledge, as well as creating jobs and spending locally. Out of that, to, just to keep it very simple and high level, out of that testing plant, we developed a secondary recovery unit that does not use cyanide and recovers uh, faster and, um, and higher concentrate of gold than using cyanide. It's uh, a substance from EnviroLeach, and um, we were so excited about it that it led to discussions um, with EnviroLeach and Encore Energy, which is another publicly traded company that has experts on in situ recovery technology used in uranium. So we combined efforts, took our first in-the-field test of the successful technology from EnviroLeach uh, with the experts from EnviroLeach uh, Encore and ourselves doing the practical on the ground, and we formed Group 11. And what we're doing is we're exploring and testing that the use of in-situ recovery on gold with a non-cyanide formula. I should say that this is being done in Russia with cyanide, so it is working. But the new technology that we're incorporating would never have come about if we hadn't really set high standards for how can we do more in the community, just more all the time. We really feel like we just can't do enough. And this opportunity totally is 100% because of that philosophy that we incorporate these values. Excellent, yeah, and for our, maybe some of our viewers if they aren't uh, super familiar with mining, in, in the in-situ process is pumping liquids into the ground. So when uh, Janet points out that in Russia that it is working with using cyanide, they're pumping cyanide into the ground. And so this is a very exciting innovation here where you, EnviroLeach has come up with a formula that takes the cyanide out and still gives those kinds of recovery. So you could really be on the cusp of something here. What are, what are the long-term plans with Group 11? Is it something that could eventually go public? Is it a way for investors to, to play it? Yeah, for now, it's uh, owned by uh, the three companies. And um, as you mentioned, uh, the in-situ technology exists and has been used in uranium. It eliminates the need for open pits, uh, tailings, uh, ponds. 
it's, it's a much less invasive form that we see as important, as well as the social distancing issue of the day. It requires a lot less of that you know, close contact uh, between people. It will remain owned by those three companies. We will have offerings that go out. We view it as a, like a technology approach instead of pure mining. So it will go through uh, the test periods in a private company before it spins out. But the plan is that it would spin out uh, down the road. Excellent. Well, something for all of our listeners to, to pay close attention to because it does touch a lot of the key issues of the mining industry going forward about being more environmentally sound, lower footprint, and, and now with the, the social distancing that's becoming factor. So now the other thing is bringing it back to Golden Predator and to Brewery Creek. So the development is, is moving along steadily there. But of course, in the modern era, you're not going to be able to get development done without community support. You've done an incredible job there building up that community support. Can you talk our listeners through a little bit about some of the pioneering initiatives and how you've approached community relations over the years in the Yukon? Really, our approach has been the community guides the, the conversation and the community is, is who you need to bring along with you. We view consultation and engagement as, as separate, mutually important but there's the political consultation that must be adhered to. But engaging the community and learning what it is that the community cares about, is interested in, and bringing them along with you. The Yukon Mint's an example. We did an elders in residence program at our Three Aces project where the elders lived with us. And it, was, it really was a life-altering experience for many of, many of us on, on both sides, the community, the elders, and ourselves. Because we really, really, truly felt we started to understand each other. So we've tried many different ways with different communities to find that mutual ground and that conversation. And it, it doesn't always start with mining. We think it does because we need to get that permit. We need to get that mine built. We need to get that whatever it is that we have promised our shareholders we're doing, we need to do. But you need to find a way to make sure the community wants you there. And often those topics are, are different. They're, you know, everything from um, residential school sy syndrome to um, it, concerns about the environment to their kids and jobs and futures. So we don't dictate, we listen and we find that common ground and then we find a way to work. The Elders in Residence is a classic example because it was an elder that said, you need to find a way to get the elders involved and away it went but never forgetting that that is that is not consultation that is simply getting to know each other and good neighbors well for those of you that are on the call that aren't aware janet has one of the better, best reputations going on being proactive and really setting a strong example giving an example for the rest of the industry to follow on how to do community relations the proper way uh just wrapping up janet before we turn over to our friends at mccallan there as I alluded to at the beginning, had some nice news flow coming out of Golden Predator. What can uh, market watchers expect to see over the next six to eight month period? We'll be finishing our feasibility study for a restart of the Brewery Creek Mine. And that will be in June. Brewery Creek Mine operated from 96 to 02. It shut down due to low gold prices. They hit about 250, 275, and their hedge ran out. They left resources. We've built them up to about 1.2 million uh, indicated and inferred. We'll be doing a new uh, resource estimate this year to incorporate a very successful drill program from last year. We're licensed, we're working on the restart, we're working on extending our licenses to expand the mine. It's, uh, I think 2020 is a, a pivotal year for Golden Predator 
and even with the, the COVID-19, um, a lot of the work that we've got to do in the next six months is stuff that still can happen without having to uh, get too stressed about what we do on site immediately. Excellent. So very exciting year. Excellent. Well, it looks like you're on the right track and we wish you all the success coming your way in the future. And looks like you're going to have a strong backwind with the gold prices doing what they're doing now. So that perseverance with these bad bear markets, <laughs> I think it's finally going to pay off. Well, thank, thank you, you very so much, much I appreciate the time and, and thank you again. I'm going to sign off and, and learn about Scotch. Awesome. Cheers, Janet. And cheers to everyone who listened. Uh, we hope you enjoyed that. Maybe you had a little Scotch beside you. And uh, yeah, they're pretty fun events. I watched and we had these great Zoom videos. I think we're going to have another one next week with Trent Mel from First Cobalt. So that should be quite interesting. Got a lot of action going on with their refinery in Ontario. So thank you to Janet Lee Sheriff from Golden Predator. Thanks to Anthony Vaccaro, Northern Miner Group publisher. And thank you to you, our listeners, for listening once again. Until next week, take care.